Hey folks, this is Living with a Genius. I'm your host, Omar Crook. On this very first episode, we have my dear friend, James Martin Schaefer, a terrific baritone uh, here in Los Angeles, California. I've known Marty for 20 years. We went to college together, and we're still singing together and hanging out together. And uh, I hope you enjoy the interview. Thanks for tuning in. Walk me through your day. How does it go? It's a constant uh, exercise in thinking to myself, where do I need to be at this moment? And where do I need to be in one hour? And what is next? I'm living in the moment every single second and it's exhausting so that's that's, you know, I, that's I me i wasn't buying it until you said that's exhausting it's absolutely <laughs> exhausting <laughs> so i feel the same way i'm exhausted all the time yeah and i guess i wasn't always exhausted but i i certainly am these days well let's see i'm 46 you're 39 39 yeah yeah i never thought i'd say that word for i've got to say though I remember, I don't know if you remember when I turned 30, mm-hmm. I, I was, remember very clearly. <laughs> I was, I was drunk for like five days, I think. Yeah, it like was, that. it was a, yeah, it was really bad. It was a bad patch maybe. But then turning 40 was fantastic. Right. Well, you were a different guy back then. By yeah. that time, by that, by 40, your life had changed. I mean, in, in, in one of the most epic 180s of all time. Considering I, uh, where you were going, selling books to Rhino Records and shit like that, to all of a sudden having this massive house and Black Beverly well, Hills. No, 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 come on. I know you hadn't had... No. You, all right. The, okay, so this is how I look at it. I think when I turned 30... I love I, how this has become about you. <laughs> listen, when I turned 30, I thought that I just totally failed in life. By the time I got to 30, right. I was like, what the Well, we fuck? all do, don't we? I guess. And, and I I maybe by the time I turned 40, I just thought, well, fuck it, you know. Yeah, I entered 30 feeling pretty damn good about myself. Well, that's good. And now on 40, I'm like, oh, we're, like we're flip-flopping. Let's not cry. Yeah. Yeah, like we're flip-flopping. All right. Let's talk about, let's talk about. Um, so that's, that's what it's like being me. It's just always thinking what's in the immediate future. Yeah, like what? What do you have to deal with right What's now? What's next? What's next? Yeah, yeah, yeah I guess that's, that's pretty common. Let's talk about what you do for a living, because you know, I, I think the people that are listening to this podcast probably know who you are, and on some level. But let's go over how how you got into music. How? Because when we met, we were in college and we were young, and you were already a great singer. How did you? I mean, I know you were in Porterville. That's where you grew up. Porterville, California. Yeah. And then the uh, the taint of <laughs> California. <laughs> well, it's a, it, the nice thing about the taint is that it's a clear pathway from well, one thing I to mean, another. And, and it's kind of it's a it's a very unique position. Porterville rests um, at the base of the Sierra Nevada, the majestic Sierra Nevada, and and uh, abuts the. The uh, heart of this. Did you just say a butts? I've I, never heard you say a butts in 20 years. That's not true. <laughs> I used to say whilst <laughs> until I got so much shit for it that I quit saying it. Um, but it also abuts the uh, San Joaquin Valley. Yeah. And so you get all the smog from the valley because it it gets compacted because of its closeness to the 
to the mountains. But how uh, did you get into music? Were you, you were in how, choir? How did I get into music? Yeah. Um, both of my older brothers were very musical. I didn't know Johnny was... Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. He's a big deal. Sure. <laughs> Johnny Shea, everyone. Um, he actually, you know, he has a, a, sp- a Spotify and he gets like, you know, a thousand downloads a week right he now. Does? Yeah, on Spotify. I, did, I didn't know that. Yeah, he'll release a song and it blows up. So he's, uh, you know, does he's... Does he make a living doing that? No, no. He I doesn't see. make a living doing it, but it, it's... It's enough to keep him um, pursuing his true heart's right. passion, and and he has the opportunity to do it vigorously because he sings some enough success to keep him motivated, right? Right. I mean, it's, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, he he has success to keep him motivated. I didn't that, know that. That's an interesting thing about you know success and motivation, um, in in the concept of genius, you know. How much is that tied together? But <laughs> anyway, uh, so my brothers both could, could they were both musically inclined. Mm-hmm. Um, my father, even though he died when I was very young, was musically inclined. We grew up in the Lutheran church, which um, Lutherans are known for singing a lot. Is that right? Hymns and whatnot. Uh-huh. Wouldn't you agree? Say that I've never been to a Lutheran service. That's Rebecca this Tomlinson. This is uh, Dr. Rebecca Tomlinson, also an esteemed colleague of mine at the Los Angeles Opera Company. Anyway, uh, so I, um, yeah, growing up in Porterville, it's the kind of town because there's not a whole lot going on. It's like the city in Footloose, the uh-huh. movie, the Kevin Bacon genius movie Footloose. I know of it. Um, and so the marching band and the choir is kind of just as cool, if you will, as the uh, football team. Right, right. So growing up in that environment, I felt safe, if you will, to um, be a, um, involved in yeah, music. sure. And I was into um, all kinds of music. Uh, were you in a band? Were you ever in a band? Absolutely. You, you can't, uh, didn't you come and see Fort play when we were called Fort? Anyway, oh, yes. Oh, I remember. No, you were in the band with Mike White. Matt White, yeah. Right, but well, it wasn't called Fort. We were called Fort for a long time. And then right before I left the band, we changed our name to uh, Porterville. That's right. Sure. I remember. Um, but didn't you guys play the Viper Room? We played the Viper Room yeah. in, in Hollywood. Yeah, 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 yeah. I went to see that show. I, yeah. God, that was a long time ago. Long man. time ago. Yeah. That was before What's-His-Name died in the front there. No, it was after River. Oh. It was after right, River, River died. But uh, you're right. It was a long time ago that I was involved. Um, you know, I played bass and sang and God, I stuff totally like forgot that. about that. I can't believe it. Yeah. And we were influenced by really kind of the obscure to our thinking growing up in the Valley. You didn't hear about bands like Sonic Youth and Pavement and mm-hmm. even the Pixies and stuff like that, which growing mm-hmm. now in L.A., everyone, oh, yeah, of course, I know them, you mm-hmm. know. But um, my thing was more geared towards, um, yeah, I was more into the, the choral music world. These, I was people are so, these people are so annoyed. Can't they see we have microphones? I mean, it's unbelievable. Well, they are. Um, well, we're at Disney Hall. Four so that, you know, that explains it, I four, suppose. Four uh, older women of a certain age who are out on a nice night 
And, you know, they kind of talk chatty, little chatty. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so, yeah, we wrote all our own songs. Yeah, it was awesome. We were good. Yeah, I, we really I remember. Good. We released some, some good music. Uh, Sam Bottoms was, um, Sam and Matt were kind of the musical geniuses, even though we all contributed our own way. I wrote my own songs, and Matt and Sam. Sam was like the producer and engineer-in-chief and everything like mm-hmm. that. And then um, our drummer, Brian, who's still one of my best friends, Brian Fowler. So, uh, but yeah, I would say I I played in the marching band because my older brothers both did and... And you guys all went to the same high school? Yeah. Monachi? Monachi. (laughs) Monachi High School in Mm -hmm. Porterville, Mm -hmm. which, you know, it it was a big deal. As a great choral program. I mean, they still do, right? And it did and does, yeah. Absolutely. Isn't one of our college chums up there uh aaron aaron, aaron snell? snell yeah uh yeah he's in town he's not at menachi i see but he is up in the town mm-hmm. um yeah so i then i uh i was split i was going to cal state fullerton in in orange county where we met mm-hmm. and singing and i wanted to be a choir conductor because i was so inspired by working with people but then i was also in this kind of quasi indie punk wannabe pavement knockoff band mm-hmm. um, and I had to choose and so I chose singing singing uh-huh yeah and then uh, when I was when I was at Opera Pacific singing you you hadn't gone over there yet had you what no you, you and I never sing together I came there. This either two seasons after you left or the season after you left. Mm-hmm. I remember enough people knew that you and I were close friends that they would tell me about your um, going away party and <laughs> and the fact that at the last performance that you gave was a performance of Carmen. No, it was uh, Rigoletto. Okay, Rigoletto, yeah. where you did you the striptease. You did a striptease that yeah. was unscripted That's right. and undirected. Yeah. Can you imagine? On yeah, stage, you, you, you did a striptease. That? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the height of unprofessionalism. Well, we, uh, so, we were doing, so we were doing Rigoletto, and um, it was a production set in the 60s. So we did this can-can coming into the party into the Duke's Palace, right? And in the production, there was a professional stripper, um, a man, a male stripper, up on a table. <coughs> and then for the, I had been accepted at Cincinnati Opera to do their program. And this was my last performance at Opera Pacific. And it ended up being, well, no, I came back and did a couple things, but years later. Anyway, um, so I had just arranged with a couple of my friends to come, like we did the the dance into the into the scene. And then I pulled the guy down off the table and I got up on the table and just started taking my clothes off. <laughs> How far did you get? Uh, down to my underwear. Huh. You know, I mean, enough that it was, people knew I was stripping, you know. And uh, and the conductor at the time, you know, looked really. Was it Domain? Was it was John Yeah, Domain? it was John Domain. My, my John Domain. Yeah, and he, he looked at me like I was crazy. And Henry Venanzi was off stage covering his face with his hands. And, uh, you know. <laughs> I can't ima- I can't imagine doing that at here in LA. Uh but yeah, but it was fun. It was a little more gorilla at Opera Pacific. For sure. Yeah, for I, sure. I loved it there. I 
For sure. I had some wonderful times. It was my first real um, branching out side of my bubble. Uh, but yeah, it was a little more guerrilla style. Absolutely. There. No, absolutely. I mean, there's a, a lot of camaraderie here at L.A. for sure. But it's um, the stakes are higher. I mean, they spend much more money per production. There's a lot more competition to get into the group to sing here. There a lot. I mean, there are a lot of factors that prevent stuff like that yeah, from happening. Yeah, I would say, you know, at Opera Pacific, I was in the resident artist program. But you also sang a lot with the... Um, the uh, chorus and it was pretty you know we were kind of the same chorus for every show yeah and it was it was cute that way but here i mean well there were there wasn't a lot of there's competition just so many County. people Th- here. i mean there yeah there are just there's so much more competition in los angeles except for you two rebecca tomlinson and omar crook who are in almost every show it's fabulous well it's great because uh, every time i'm not in a show i can come and watch you guys and I have two two people that are dear to me up on the stage. I'm very lucky. Yes, I'm very lucky. I, I love singing here. It's terrific. Yeah. It's true. All right, so we're back. Now, as you know, the show is called Living with a Genius. Mm-hmm. So what what's your what's your concept of what genius is? Can you name some people who you think are geniuses? Well, I think you're a genius. That's why you're on the show. I mean, I, I assume living with the genius refers to living with you in our lives. But well, I, let's not get into that. <laughs> um, genius, yeah. Genius is, is um, pretty amazing. Did you ever, do you remember that Harold Bloom book that came out? Um, no, I no, it's is it Harold Bloom? Yeah, it's Harold Bloom. It came out, I want to say, in two thousand and three or four, and it's called Genius. Yeah, well, you know, I don't read. So. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that, <laughs> and it's it's pretty awesome because he he breaks down over the centuries genius in different forms, uh-huh. genius in the scientific community, and then he takes it to era genius by. Uh, writing in the arts or painting in the arts or invention in the arts or sure. music in the arts. And it's a fascinating study. Um, and he would, he would say that there's an underlying spark to each genius, whether it be the psalmist whom Christians refer to as David or, or, or whatever, or Shakespeare, mm-hmm. or, or Mozart, or, or Michael Jordan, or Michael Jordan. Sure, that, that, that we all have. Are there's different kinds of genius? There's physical genius. There's emotional genius. There's intellectual genius. There's there's and there's well, Rebecca. Why are you looking so incredulous? Well, what's that? What's that look about? That's what I thought. There's a form to each of them that we can all recognize. That. Um, elevates the conversation. It elevates every single person around them. Um, Whether it be through reading sonnets of Shakespeare, you're elevated, or reading um, Fitzgerald, you know, you're you're elevated, or watching uh, LeBron James, you you realize that the game is is better Mm -hmm. than than you've ever seen it played before. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that's when you can recognize genius. I don't know that genius is something you can define so much as recognize. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, you mean it's... Um I've always been fascinated by people who I consider to be geniuses and they have trouble recognizing that within themselves and that and in that there is some genius like for instance um Peter Sellers like whenever we've worked with the Peter Sellers yeah whenever we've worked with Peter Sellers not, not the actor the director that's right well he was a genius in his own right too Absolutely I, I'm just the director out yeah the opera director I I always find him to be so humble and so nice and same with Placido. Like if 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 we were to talk to Placido and say, you know, Placido, I I think you're a real genius. He'd probably be embarrassed by that. Do you not think though that he is a genius on? I absolutely no. I absolutely do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but it's not just the singing. It's also the interest personality and his charm and and his talent and his charisma. Yeah, yeah. Ab no, absolutely. Yeah. But what I'm saying is that I think I think kind of the litmus test to a genius is when you ask them about being a genius and they have just they just don't know what you're talking about. Do you really? Like I mean like if you asked Wagner, are you a genius? He was yeah, I didn't uh, think he was a yeah. genius. Yeah, that I think I think people like that aren't geniuses actually. Oh, well, but I I, I <laughs> Yeah, I mean we we can get into this as a debate now because uh, now. because I mean, their genius also has very many forms, just like humanity has very many forms. There's evil geniuses and there's benevolent <laughs> geniuses. There's, you know, geniuses who don't know they are, geniuses who are egotistical. Narcissistic, I mean, yeah, sure. So, I mean, okay, yeah. I don't think that that should be the defining thing. All right, that fine. might be the, the attribute that you are most attracted to, though. I can, Yeah, I, can I think that. it's that, that's right. The humble genius, I think, is very I mean, attractive. I that's, can what, that's what I love you about you. Michael Jordan knew knew he was a genius, and for for me to speak over you saying that you think I'm a genius while saying the words Michael Jordan makes me the uh, probably the worst person in the world. But um, <laughs> anyway, to be anyway, <laughs> I, and and I guess genius is relative. I think we're also saying that you know yeah that's true. genius pops up in our lives in in different ways sure and so to a certain extent genius is both subjective and objective you know there are iq tests that you can say this person's iq is 157 hence he's technically a genius mm -hmm. then there's just experiential genius if 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 you're being so lovely as you are right now to say that I'm a genius, that's an experiential. I'm an experiential. Yeah, you know, maybe there's some, maybe uh, maybe it's my own insecurity too, you know. Like I, I maybe I confuse genius with envy. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, may, so in other words, you, you see something yeah, in like I've these always people admired, that you No, I've always admired that you, you're very confident in what you do, you... You're always well prepared. You're, you know all the things that I'm not in this business. Well, that's sweet. <laughs> I appreciate that, <laughs> but I think that just makes me professional, not genius. Well, like maybe, yeah, um, I'm pretty unprofessional. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that, given your um, your resume, that you're you're being overly modest. Well, I don't know about that. To a to a 
depressingly long level. There you go. So who have you worked? Who have you worked with that was? Tell me the. Tell me your favorite person to work with since you've been singing, and your least favorite person that you've worked with as a singer. Um. You don't. You don't necessarily have to name names on the. You know, on the on the negative part. Right. I'd, I'd love it if you would, but you know, I totally understand. Well, you know. Uh, I've been very blessed in my life in terms of Southern California to be able to work with a lot of the big names who've been in classical music. Sure. Um, one of our closest friends and the guy who was the best man at my wedding, Robert Eistad, who uh, is the future head of... Uh, All Pas- of music in Orange County. <laughs> Essentially. <laughs> Pacific Rowell, <laughs> and he's head of the voice Cal State Fullerton. Cal State Fullerton. Go Titans. Um you know, he is someone who I owe a lot to and who I truly do love working with. Sure. Because he and I have the same sense when we are studying a score and working on something. Uh, Maestro John Alexander, again, you're in my mentor. Sure. Um, taught me everything I need to know, whether it be boy, through... Boy, he scared, f- he scared the shit out of me. Through was fear? Oh, I was just boy. I mean... Oh, wow. He's the most... He was a benevolent papa, but he was truly terrifying. And he taught through terror. It, well, yeah, yeah, he did. He was really proud of us too, though. I mean, he and he would—he didn't keep any secrets about that, which I, I, I love that about John. I love him so much, be- and and I owe almost everything in my career to him. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of just getting a start, knowing what it means to be a professional, sure, always being prepared. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll relate one story to you. In terms of that, I was. Um, John had essentially given me the the um, the solo in the foray requiem, which you know mm-hmm. they aren't huge, but you know they're the they're a big thing in the foray requiem, and everyone knows it and loves the foray requiem. And John had essentially given them to me, but he asked me to come in and sing them for him. Sure. Um, and uh, this was a concert that he was not going to be a part of. It was going to be Bobby McFerrin. Mm-hmm. Of all people, mm-hmm. you know, don't worry, be happy. Y- yep. He's also a conductor, or at least he was for for a long time. Right, and he was conducting this concert, and so John basically just wanted me to come in and and hear how I did it, and I came in unprepared. I will admit that I was at a point in my age and, and life, you know, m- we took things for granted a little bit. Early twenties sure. took things for granted, right. And um, I came in, and I, I after I was done, he goes, all right, well, okay. And he sent me on my way. And it was like, oh, oh no, this, is, this didn't go so well. And so he said he set up auditions. And they flew in people from New York for these auditions to, to hear oh, it again. Man. And this is something that I had in the bag. Uh, and I and I had, at the time, long hair, and I think I showed up for the audition, quote-unquote. Hungover? Uh, like, T-shirt, jeans, probably hungover, mm-hmm. if I'm being honest, kind of thing. Well, I I realized, okay, I I just, you know, shit the bed here. Mm-hmm. And so I went and got mm-hmm. a haircut. <laughs> yeah. You know, got coaching, went to my voice teacher, and studied it, and really, really crammed it in, and... Realized, okay, this is something that I knew already, but didn't know it to the level that, sure, that I needed to. Have, right. So I, I went in and sang the the second real audition, and our friend Eric was in there, and and um, 
Anyway. Eric. Eric Whitaker. He was in there? Yeah. Why was, was he in there? Because he was the um, resident artist for Oh, sure. For, for, Pacific, for Pacific Crowd. Yeah. Pacific right. Anyway, and so I sang it. And even despite these guys from New York coming out, John gave it to me. And anyway, he, he took me aside after the experience and, and after I'd, he'd, he'd said that I, I would do the solos and stuff. Hila, in fact, sang the soprano. Oh, he, wow. Hila Pittman. Um, he, um, he took me aside and he said, Marty, I was very disappointed. But then I was very pleased with the way you showed up the second time. And what I want you to know is that whether you're auditioning for the church choir or the Metropolitan Opera, you should come in prepared the same way. Don't take anything for granted. And that has lived with me and been my guiding principle ever since. Hmm. Um, I will never be the weak link in the room. And if I don't get something, it, it won't be because I didn't perform as well as I could. It'll right. be because they were looking for something different. Right, right. That's a great story, man. I remember when that happened, too. Uh, I, didn't, I don't think I knew all the little details, though. Yeah, um, you know, yeah, it was it was a humbling experience. But, you know, I was living in that frat house kind of thing. Yeah, sure. With my, my friends on Roberta Avenue in Fullerton, California. And sure. Five of us just building Christmas trees out of beer bottles. And so tell me, all right, so tell me your worst experience. That I mean, was, was that both? Was that your best and worst? That was pretty close to my worst experience. Really? I would say my oh very worst experience, though, was, um, again, I was young, and I'd been hired by the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra, mm-hmm. John Malcherry conducting, sure. to sing the Mandarin. Uh, in, in Exactly. In Turndot. And this was the first... Real yeah. opera, Big opera gig. gig I'd had outside of college. Right. So it was a huge deal. We had a similar experience with our kind of debut, actually. Yeah, yours I was I The Hollywood Bowl, too. Yeah, with John as yeah. well. Um, so I, I get in there to, to <coughs> the... Uh, there was no pre-coaching with him or anything like that, yeah. which, which subsequently I'd always had with, with him. But this was the first one, and, and it went this way. So we're we're at this. I think we were at CBS Studios Soundstage, um, and you may have been there. I don't know, but the chorus is there, the orchestra's there, the soloists were all there, and bam, 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 bam. The band's playing, and then I get up there, popolody pecchino, sure. and so I sing it through, and I had coached it with a really bad. Italian diction coach because at the time my languages were not very good again I was very young at this point and not really into opera and you don't know what to expect I mean there are certain things no I should this this is all stuff that okay thinking back this is all on me okay sure and in fact he was very gracious that he didn't fire me so we get the to the word leggere Mm -hmm. and um and I sing it leggere or something essentially like that and he stops, and he goes, "What? What was that?" In oh front of oh God. hundreds of people, everybody. And you know, so he says he he plays it again, and he makes me sing it again, and I I do it again because I don't know that I'm doing anything wrong. I mm-hmm. don't hear that I'm doing anything wrong. Mm-hmm. 
and I say the you know the legere pronunciation again, not not doubling my G very right. well. And uh, he stops again and he says, I, I I don't know, I don't know what to do. Uh, what is this, Zsa Zsa Gabor? No, no, no. In front of everyone. Oh my! And God. I almost melted into the floor. Oh I'm so God! I'm horrifically started, I'm, I'm starting to sweat just That's listening to this. It starts the opera. Oh, God. It was so painful. But in honestly, like I said, he was actually very graceful. Sure. It was just my embarrassment because um, he could have easily fired me. <laughs> uh, so, and I'll never forget um, one of the other producers or something came to me and they're like, what's going on? I mean, and I'm like, I just got bad coaching. I'm going to figure it out. And so. Where I th- did you go from there? I went to a person who was much more um, adept yeah adept sure at at doing this for me again this was at this little period in life this was around the bobby mcferrin well it's a transition from where i was i was taking things for granted well and you know there's also there's also a rough transition for i would say most people i had it too you know there's a rough transition from going going from college to a professional situation. And my opinion is that most colleges do not prepare you for that difference. There is a big difference between a college production and a professional production. And every pro- every just about every professional production I've ever been involved with, they have a certain flow and, and certain expectations that are kind of industry-wide. There, there isn't a whole lot of variation that I've found in professional work um, but it's sh- and it sure is different from being in college, and well, I don't, maybe all- maybe you can't prepare somebody for that. I, I'm not you know I'm not sure. I remember the first the first um, professional opera rehearsal I ever went to was Flying Dutchman at Opera Pacific, and as you know, you and I were the go-to guys at in our school at Cal State Fullerton. We did the lion share of the solo work. We did the lion share of the leads. And so I, I went to Opera Pacific thinking, oh, man, this is, I've got this in the bag. I'm going to be famous in a year. I sat in that first rehearsal, and I was devastated. I actually went home and cried. I couldn't, I, w- I was just, I just thought, well, I, I don't sing like this. How, how, how am I going to make a living doing this? This is insane. And I just felt totally unprepared to, to, to experience what I experienced from one to the other. Well, I... I can, in some ways, relate to what you're saying. I can, what I would kind of point out to that, though, is that's why there is a process in place that is not, if not universal, it's very common amongst the the professional ranks is that, you know, you go to college and then you go to a, a... another program uh, another program and you do these programs and that's how you build your sure you and i were both um launched just straight up into yeah sure sure that's true doing roles that were reviewed i mean i'm i'm singing in college and then a few years later i'm a couple years later I'm, i'm singing these roles and stuff and i missed some of the um yeah maybe we are kind of the outliers that way, I don't know about outliers I necessarily, but but we definitely had a different experience Path, than, than yeah. certain people. What sure. w- I mean, Rebecca, what uh, what would you say? I mean, what was your experience? You you you're very successful. You're 
incredibly revered around town for being one of the best sopranos who resides here in Southern California and kind of works everywhere mostly yeah. here in Southern California. Well, I will say what it sounds like you two had was a classic small fish in a big pond. Totally. Big yeah. pond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Experience. Um, I will say I have always relied upon my... Well, I was a flute player, mm-hmm. and I had perfect pitch, and mm-hmm. I thought, wow, I can always rely upon that. And then I have gotten into certain pr- professional situations where I thought, wow, um, everybody here he seems to be on my same level, and how do I how do I stand out in that? It's um, yeah, that is always a disarming when you when you are used to being um for for lack of sounding uh modest when you're used to being the best in the room yeah, and right. then all of a sudden i mean when you consider that there are 7 billion people on the planet that there has to be somebody who is equally or a certain percentage i mean even 1% of the population of the earth are more talented than you are or have worked harder or or have more opportunity for some reason or another. Yeah, yeah or their sure. genius is higher or whatever that quotient is. Um, to experience that is shocking. And I think um, nobody can anticipate that. The first time you um, encounter it is... Yeah, so maybe there's some universality to what I'm saying. That maybe everybody experiences that in some way or another, unless you're in just the most rarefied league. I think anybody who has gotten to some of the higher echelons of whatever their profession is, sure, or of whatever their genius is, is sure. everybody is on a certain level, and it's the first time you experience that is like, oh, yeah, my goodness, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I just building on this and tying it into your question of who are my favorite people. Another would be Grant Gershon. Sure. And the reason is, this is a man who, when you're in his presence, you can sense his humility and his humbleness and his mm-hmm. down-to-earthedness. Mm-hmm. But you can, also, you can also sense, in a certain way, his, his genius. His intellect, yeah. That he's, he's working, he's functioning, a part of him is functioning on a level that is different than everyone else in his environment. That's right. He's he's. It's like the Matrix. You know, he's seeing the binary code that forms it, whereas we're all looking at 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 the world in 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 this different way. That's right. And and maybe that's you know part of the definition of genius. I know that. Yeah, I guess we're really a question to to ask is maybe maybe a question I should ask people is what's your genius? That's a. You know that's a fascinating. You and mean can what you see? W- can you see that in yourself? Or what characteristic? You, are, is yeah, a, like I know, I know what I, I know what my genius is for what's sure. What's that? Um, I think it is the way I, the way I'm with other people. Your um, interpersonal communication. Yeah, 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 yeah. And relation. I, I think the thing that I'm the best at is gauging um, other people's emotional um, state. I, I'm good at at um, figuring out what are like what the what the temperature of the room is. Mm-hmm. That's something I've always been yeah, good at. Yeah, but it's not just that. It's you're actually hyper uh, vigilant about observing people. Very so observant. Yes. It's not just sure. the interperson 
uh, interpersonal relationships between people. It's definitely like the observation and then the deduction. A little bit like Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I'm very observant. So what's your, what would you say for yourself? Well, for instance, yeah. I remember you have told me what my favorite pair of shoes, what your favorite pair of shoes is That's of right. mine. And yeah. I'm thinking, what? He knows what my like best pair of shoes is? Yeah. That's Strange. Yeah. Um, no, I, I do. I notice. I notice everything about people. Sure. I think that that is probably your genius. Sure. The, and relationship. How that, that relates to other things. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Totally. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. I'm a freaking genius. <laughs> What's your <laughs> what break? That's What's a break. break. <laughs> <laughs> now, what do you think your genius is? Um, and is it fair to? I mean, honestly, is it fair to ask somebody that question about themselves? And and the way I they answer I, that is I, that I don't think so. No? I think that um, you can ask someone what is it if you if 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 they were to define the quality about themselves that maybe sets them that's right that's apart that, that, that gives them success above everything else about themselves um, that but to define genius in yourself is so so much hubris that it's it's kind of gross like what you just did made me a little nauseous yeah no see that's my genius <laughs> well, then, if i if it really if what i thought was your genius yeah is truly your genius then you should be able to tell him what his genius is. no what what yeah I, I, okay that, that's an interesting thing okay. I, I, I would love to hear that because i i will say what i think i do best that sets me apart from others in my environment i i, I know what that is well I there's believe. one uh, there's one trait that you possess that i've always been envious of and i actually try and copy it sometimes and that's your your stillness i've always mm. appreciated how deliberate you are with what you say how deliberate you are w with your body and how you move and how still you are when you talk to somebody and you mm -hmm. you listen carefully and you think about it, and then you say something interesting. That, to me, is your genius. That's a fascinating thing because it actually builds off of, if I was to say what I think I, I, I do best. Um, first of all, thank you, I think. Yeah, of course. That, that, that's very I mean, basically what I'm saying is that you're kind of slow. <laughs> I would say. And simple. I like that about you. Well, I, slow and simple. That's how I like to keep it. <laughs> like, um, a, like a syrup. I mean, you know, I, I don't believe that one plus one should should equal two. Uh, obviously, Terrence, Terrence Howard and I are in the same boat with that. <laughs> um, because anyway, uh, that's a real thing, by the way. Um, <laughs> he really he really wrote a paper about it. And he anyway. Uh, what I think I can do well is take a concept or an idea or something that someone else maybe has created first, synthesize that, rework it to where it works for me and what I'm trying to accomplish. Hmm. It's not very original. It makes me feel like a bit of a hack. Well, uh, you know, I'm an editor too. Really, but, what you're describing but, is a great editor. Honestly, 
honestly, it is amazing that you say that because I honestly feel like that that is what I do really well as well. Wait a minute. In classical music. I'm in classical music, yes, but as it relates, okay. So Omar just said that my stillness and my communication style and my steadiness. Well, that wasn't something I used to be. It's something that, through some some mentorship, um, and some guidance, I realized. You know what? The people that I'm communicating with feel better, and more supported and, and solid themselves when I take on this behavior. That has now become maybe m- more my natural state, but at first it was a it was a, a bit of a behavior, and you know there's a couple years now of psychoanalysis and in, in, mm-hmm. in figuring out what's at the core of this sure. sense of self. But um, that's you know that that that's what I I feel strongly to do. It's interesting though, Rebecca, that you uh, are able to relate so keenly to it. I mean. The look in your eye is telling me that, wow, oh, brother, there's another person who who uh, synthesizes that way. No comment. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. That was a <laughs> dummy tangent that'll be edited out. You know, I, it's true because I I I hear what you're saying, and I because I've known you for so long. I mean, I remember. I remember the way we both used to be. I I think I was a lot more frenetic. I think I was a lot more, even more than I am now. Yeah, I think well, I, for example, I think I've settled down too. I don't know if it's a function of my age. You know, my knees just fucking hurt all the time, and I'm just fucking well, tired. Well, in terms of observational change, yeah, from two people who are so uh, intimately friendly as as you and I are, you just became a friendlier person at a certain point than you were when I first met you. And huh. You were a nice, great guy when I first met you, which is why. You know, we were instant friends. But at a certain point, you got knocked down a few rungs, and you realized, I'm going to be happy. Yeah. And so you just became a friendlier person. Yeah, and yeah. That, I think it's like that, wanting that infects to everyone around you and makes the room a little brighter. But I think and it's a choice a that you've made also, and that is that and maybe there's some altruism involved. Maybe it's selfish at the same time, but it's to, it is, I do, uh, I do like making other people feel better when they're around me than they feel when they're not around me. I think it's, maybe that is part of it. Well, we can't affect what happens to them when we're not around, I would say. But no, I, I can. <laughs> but The therapy appears. But but when when we are in the room, if we can just make everything a little better, then that and then we're making it better for ourselves. I'm pretty too. sure that most people are miserable when they're not around me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know I am. <laughs> I I I wake up every morning, <laughs> and the first thing I do is count the hours. I right? I listen to <laughs> Garrison Keillor on the Writer's Almanac. Yeah, and then I just think, what would Omar think of that? And when do I get to see him Where, next? Because when, I'm when will I see him next? When will he make me feel good? When do I get my <laughs> my shot in the arm? Uh, you're just being ridiculous now. 